Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it, we keep it reels. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Hey there, Mama and Papa Bears. Welcome to another Mama Bear Apologetics podcast, as well as video available here on YouTube. We thank you so much for being involved and your continued encouragements to Hillary as she recovers from her procedure. She has been reading your messages and words of encouragement and has has just been so filled up. And we're so grateful to such a wonderful community as y'all for being able just to, to be there when she needs you most. Now, before we start this podcast, let me introduce to you the special guest that we got to have today. We got to have Elisa Childers come on and explain and have a great discussion with Lindsay and I about progressive Christianity and how it's influencing not only parenting, but how we relate the gospel to our kiddos. Now, if you're not familiar with Elisa Childers, she is amazing. She is former singer-songwriter of the hit group Zoe Girl, and she has a great book out called Another Gospel, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to progressive Christianity. Now, what you may have missed, because we had a little bit of glitchiness with the introduction, which is why I'm here, is that she has a new book coming out in the fall of 2022, and I'm so excited for it. I know you're going to love it. It's called Live Your Truth and Other Lies, How Popular Deception Are Making Us Anxious, Self-Obsessed, and Exhausted. She is going to go through some of the top Uh, sort of self-help isms that are making its way within Christian uh, ministry, especially women's ministry, debunking them and pointing ladies back to Christ, to the truth that is out there. And we're, we just, we can't wait. So as you are looking through this podcast, you're going to notice that there's great discussion. There's tips on how you can discuss these issues with your kiddos, as well as resources toward the end for if you want to dive in a little deeper, you can go ahead and get into those and really train yourself well and raise your kids up well. We thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We've got other videos available on YouTube as well as other podcasts available on our website, mamabearapologetics.com. We hope that you will take some time to listen to those. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to reach out for us. We are there to hear, to listen, and to help, as well as if you have suggestions to other issues that maybe you and your family have faced or things that you would like Mama Bear Apologetics to address We're also available for that too. And we love getting input from our listeners. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today, for keeping us in your prayers and being involved with Mama Bear Apologetics. We're all in this together. Now, you have a second book also that that you are working on right now, which I'm so excited for because it, it just sounds awesome. You call it Live Your Truth and Other Lies About How Popular Deceptions Are Making Us Anxious, Self-Obsessed, and Exhausted. Now, what, what inspired you to write this one? Is this just kind of like bouncing off the your first book, or are you seeing some of these things starting to creep up in culture more? Yes. So this next book is really sort of in the vein and along the same lines of uh, a blog post that I wrote a few years ago, which was a sort of a critique of the book Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. And interestingly, that blog post was 
like the one that really ended up getting me toward an agent and publishing house to get a, a you know book deal to write the first book. And I I knew that I wanted my first book to be about progressive Christianity and the journey that I went on uh, in that world. But I always had it in the back of my mind, like I want to go back and revisit sort of that whole thing too. Just the, not just Rachel Hollis, girl, wash your face, but just kind of the, the self affirmation, self help sort of Christiany, Christianish messages that are mm-hmm. really marketed to Christian women, but are really just marketed to all women from culture and, and all of that. And so, um, I, I've, I've kind of done that. I've gone back to the, the voice of that original blog post and just trying to make it fun and funny and conversational, but also kind of exposing some of these things that sound really good. Like they're, they're, yeah. they're things that you, you find on Facebook and you want to like, and share it because it <laughs> feels good. It sounds encouraging. It sounds like a nice thing to say. It's something you want to say to somebody who's struggling but really at the end of the day, it's, it's not the truth. And it's actually mm. going to leave uh, the person in a worse state than, than they felt before you said it. Things like, mm-hmm. you know, you're perfect just as you are. Doesn't that sound nice? Like, doesn't it sound nice to say yes. that to somebody who's struggling? But, you know, if we tell people that it's not true, we're not, we actually are desperately, our hearts are desperately sick, the Bible says. So we, we need Jesus. And I think that's a much more freeing message. And so mm. this next book sort of takes a look at some of these popular deceptions and try to humorously and biblically kind of refute them to where when you're done with the chapter, you go, yeah, you know, I get why I wanted to like that, but it actually, I think it's much better to do it God's way. So hope that's, that's the goal of the next book. Oh, that is so exciting. Do you have a potential release date yet or is it just tentative 2022? Yeah. Fall 2022. I think I don't have an actual date, but yeah. Oh, that I is can't so wait. I know that's going to be awesome. Cool. So, yeah, it's been fun writing it for, for sure. Cause I'm just telling, going back and telling just stories from my life. And so it's been fun. That's so awesome. the words progressive Christianity have come up a couple of times already in this podcast, but we mm-hmm. haven't yet defined it. Elisa, can you please take a minute and tell us what progressive Christianity is? Because I mm-hmm. think it's one of those obscure phrases to a lot of Christians where they're like, well, it's just us moving forward. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, it, and that's not really it, right? Right. No, and that's that's a really good question and kind of an important thing to do is to de- is to define it. Now, progressive Christianity is very difficult to define because like you said, it's always moving forward. It's always progressing and it's not, you know, we want to progress in our faith, right? As Christians, we want to grow in our knowledge of the eternal truths of God's word, but there's a difference between that and then having the mindset that Christianity itself is progressing or that those truths are changing and morphing as we kind of come to a higher and wiser view of God. And so, um, when I first started talking about progressive Christianity, I I didn't even try to define it because it's so fluid. There are Mm. a broad spectrum of beliefs that can fall under that umbrella. But then I spent a couple of years researching pretty deeply. I I read as many progressive books as I could in that time. I listened to their podcasts and read their blog posts. And what emerged was that actually there really are some sort of non-negotiable non-negotiable core tenets of progressive Christianity that began to emerge, at least among the thought leaders that lead the movement. And by the way, uh, I just want to say this too, progressive Christianity as a term, it's not 
uh, a pejorative. It's not sort of some like scare quote thing that, that we're lobbing at people we disagree yeah. with. They call themselves progressive Christians and they define, I mean, I've, I've listened to several progressive Christians define it. And so if you put all that together, what really emerges is like you said, Lindsay, so many people kind of, it's like this vague phase. What does it mean? Phrase, you know, what does it mean? Um, and a lot of Christians, I think, are under the impression that progressive Christians are just a group of well-meaning Christians who just might be changing their minds, um, maybe becoming less political or, mm-hmm. or changing their minds politically or just changing their minds or becoming more open-minded on some social issues or something like that. But, um, and, and that is certainly true, but at its core, progressive Christianity as I, the case I make in the book is an entirely different gospel. Mm. It's, it's a completely different gospel. It paints the picture of a completely different God than the God of the Bible. Uh, it's a different Jesus than you read in the gospels. Mm. And ultimately it's, it's a false gospel. I really believe that it's completely not an exaggeration to say that this is a false gospel. And we can talk through some of those points if you'd like, but so, so the best way to define it is really by saying it's, it's just a movement of people who identify themselves as Christians who are willing and open to redefine uh, or reject even what we would consider to be core historic doctrines of the faith. They're not really concerned with orthodoxy. Uh, It's really much more about what you do than what you believe in progressive Christianity, but they just bear the banner Christian and they claim Jesus. So is it another denomination? Are churches calling themselves progressive churches? Is this something you could find in a I'm going to date myself, a phone book? (laughs) Can you Google it and say, uh, Siri, please show me um, progressive churches in my area. Is this something that people can do? Yeah, you can do that. Um, and there are more and more churches popping up that will just identify themselves as progressive Christian. Um, a lot of progressive Christians go to mainline Protestant denominations that the the more theologically liberal denominations, because that's a really good fit for progressive Christians theologically. Because another way you can even define progressive Christianity and think about it is that it's theologically, it's the virtually the same as the theological liberalism that arose in the late 1800s, early 1900s. But it's that, but married to postmodernism. So if you take liberalism and postmodernism and put them together, you have progressive Christianity. It's very relativistic. In fact, I've even observed, even over the last couple of years, the movement as a whole, moving more away from being so theological and more into being more mystical and relativistic. And then the theologically more astute side of it sort of marrying this more mystical, it's been kind of bizarre to observe because, you know, you'll take a Bible scholar who, like Peter Enns, for example, who's Harvard trained, um, his books are very theologically liberal, uh, but but I hadn't really picked up much relativism in his work, but now he's promoting people um, that are very mystical and very relativistic, and they're sort mm-hmm. of all coming together. So that's sort of what I've been observing over the last couple of years. But, um, but again, it's progressive, so it's always changing, and there's new people mm-hmm. popping up all the time. So it's very hard to get your hands around. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned that it's not so much um, beliefs; it's what they do. But um, and you also mentioned Jesus, some sort of being different. Can you kind of give some of the main tenets that you've noticed in progressive Christianity? So when people are 
you might be watching Christians and going, oh, they seem like they're they're perfectly fine. Um, mm-hmm. So how can you spot them in a crowd? What what is what is identifying to them? Yeah, that's a great question. So one way that might be helpful to do this is just go through the narrative arc of the gospel, and I can give you the historic view and then the progressive view because beautiful. With, because with progressive Christians, also, it's really not so much about what you're affirming. Like they, they'll affirm all kinds of different things from each other, but they tend to deny the same points. And so that's kind of where we'll focus maybe this question. So if we look at the gospel, like the narrative arc of God's redemptive acts throughout history, starting with creation, you know, God creates the world and puts Adam and Eve in the garden. They have a choice. They rebel against God. This introduces sin and death into the world. And as they procreate, that sin nature gets passed down to their children and their children's children. And basically, you know, put simply, we're all sinners. Like this is the beginning of the historic Christian gospel. Well, because God is holy, he can have no unity with sin. So this causes a problem because then we become alienated from God because we are sinners. This brings in the big rescue plan. Jesus, God incarnate, comes to earth, lives a sinless life, takes our sins upon himself, provides reconciliation between sinful humanity and a holy God uh, for those who put their trust in Jesus. And then, you know, the Great Commission, make disciples until Jesus returns in the future. And at the judgment day, there every every human being will go to their eternal destination. Those who want to be with God forever will get what they want. Those who don't want to be with God forever will get what they want. And so if we just think of the narrative arc in that sense, let's go back and I'll kind of show you where progressive Christians, largely speaking, you're always going to find exceptions, but I have found as a whole this to be pretty universal. Number one, that there's, even a, even on the level of creation, there's a bit of a denial of um, God creating humans as a special creation. Progressive theology is really built upon a, a Darwinian type of understanding of evolution. And uh, so there's a denial of original sin in progressive circles and a denial that we have some kind of a sin nature inherently or that we're inherently sinful. Uh, in fact, in progressive Christianity, it will often be re- referred to as original blessing or original goodness. Uh, they don't want you to see yourself as a fallen person, um, which I think, by the way, is why there's so much self-help mm-hmm. messages going mm-hmm. on in that world, because it really starts with the self. And so in progressive Christianity, if you go around saying, I'm a sinner, they'll, be, they'll say, don't talk about yourself that way. You're more beautiful than that. You shouldn't see mm-hmm. yourself that way. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, this is like the first building block. If you don't think you're inherently a sinner that's separated from God, because they'll tell you you're not separated from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you feel separated from God, that is self-imposed. That's something that you're kind of doing to yourself. And all you need to do is realize your the the. Be- belovedness you have with God or realize that you're already, in fact, there's a progressive church I pulled off of their belief statement and they summed up the gospel that way. They said the good news is that you have never been separated from God. That's their gospel essentially. So obviously if you take the rest of that story, none of that is going to apply. And if anything, the rest of that's going to be seen as very, very negative. So if you don't think you're a sinner, obviously God requiring the blood sacrifice of his own only son on the cross is going to be seen as horrific. I mean, that would make God into yeah. a moral monster. So 
So that's off the table. That's rejected. That's referred to as cosmic child abuse. Um, the the final judgment is the resurrection of Jesus. And eh, some some affirm it, some don't. It doesn't really matter to the progressive gospel. The, the resurrection is just whether it was physical or metaphorical doesn't really matter. It's not. It just doesn't really play that big of a role as far as being some sort of um, you know hinge on which the Christian faith sort of stands or falls. And I totally mixed a metaphor there. And I, I'm learning from book writing not to do that. So hinge stands, falls, they, you know, whatever, but <laughs> we've all done it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So ultimately speaking, then, you know, it's largely universalistic or, you know, they might take some view of universalism, like universal reconciliation or perennialism or something like that, but nobody's going to hell in progressive theology, essentially, however they want to word their type of um, you know, view of the afterlife. Nobody's going to be punished in hell. And so um, it's, it's, you can see how like on each point, the denials really formulate a new and different gospel. Yeah. Now, would you say it wouldn't, cause you know, especially with, there was, there was a whole seminar that came through um, what about 10, 15 years ago, sort of denouncing the existence of hell. And that's kind of picked up traction. Would you say that's probably the most uh, attractive characteristic of progressive Christianity, or is it kind of like a whole package situation to where you can almost, you can, you can leave the things you don't like, take the things you do and sort of wrap it all up and, you know, kind of this nice self-help, everyone's going to make it package and have it be appealing. Is that what's attractive to most people? Or are there, are there, is there something else that people find just really appealing about it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think ultimately it really all comes down to that, right? Because if there is no punishment for sin, if there's really no consequence for not doing things God's way, well, then you can do whatever you want. You know, you can affirm what culture affirms. You can, you you know, if you don't like those parts of the Bible that are a little bit tough in the Old Testament, you can just push those out of the way, you know, it doesn't matter. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately speaking, if you go online, you can find several progressive sites that have this six pillars of deconstruction, they call it. And mm-hmm. it's basically, um, the, the idea is that these six beliefs are what holds Christianity together. And once you deny one, it's sort of like, it's like this domino effect and the whole thing falls apart. And one of the first and main ones is, is hell. Just, you know, this, this whole idea that God would punish people in hell. And that, that is one of the first dominoes to fall. The Bible is up there as well. Uh, You know, there's this view that the Bible is, is very immoral in places actually, and implicates God's moral character. And so, they'll often, um, you know, progressive Christians, well, some will say the Bible's not God's word. It's not authoritative, you know, just, it's a good book that I can learn from some things or glean from sometimes, but other progressive Christians will say, no, I have a very, very high view of scripture because I read it the way it was intended to be read. And by that, they mean, this is a book that humans wrote about God not a book that God wrote to humans. Mm-hmm. And so that those two pillars, I think, are the probably the, the main ones that start the snowball process of all the other beliefs sort of falling by the wayside. Mm. So um, how, how have you seen this taking, taking root in the church? Like, have you, 
it seems like it, you mentioned before that it was in mainline Protestants. Is it creeping up into eat like, or I'm thinking also of like Catholic and that sort, is it just sort of seeping in um, to each one? Cause we've seen throughout the news and everything else. you'll see some of these denominations that are slowly leaning more toward the progressive side. Have mm-hmm. you noticed that it's just, is it just a Protestant thing? Do we see this in other faiths? Where are you seeing this creep in? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Catholics have their progressives. The the Orthodox have their progressives as well. In fact, um, one kind of eye-opening thing for me is I was under the impression that the, the Eastern Orthodox Church denies some of these same things. But I, I uh, have a friend who connected me with a a priest, a very of an ancient tradition of Eastern others. He's like, he sounds just like us. You know, there's, yeah. he's like, no, we have our progressives too. They're, they're, they're changing the beliefs. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely Catholic and Orth- Eastern Orthodox progressives. I would say the most vocal ones though, are coming from out of the evangelical church. Yes. So I think it's probably, it's, it's sort of originating in well, no, I can't say that it's originating in the evangelical church because really you can trace the history back all the way to the rise of Unitarianism in the United States in the 1700s, the rise of theological liberalism in Germany in the in the 1800s. And by the way, just an interesting thing to note is the theological underpinnings of this whole thing. It's just, it's all invented a by a bunch of middle-aged white guys. You know, it's like progressives are the first people to say, oh, you know, that what we would consider to be Orthodox Christianity, that's just, the Baptists came up with that in the 50s. You know, that's like, that's just like the white white guys. I'm like, no, their theology was literally invented by a bunch of middle-aged white guys. So, uh, you pops know. Pops the bubble a little. Pops the bubble. I have a whole podcast on that, actually. But, um, so anyway, that's sort of a side note. But, uh yeah, so evangelicals are, and, and here's why I think that's going, that's happening. So you had the emergent church in the late '90s, early 2000s, with guys like Tony Jones, Doug Paget, um, Brian McLaren, and I don't know if you guys remember this. You, you're a little bit younger, I think, than me. So when Rob Bell came out with his book Love Wins, yeah, okay. and John Piper tweeted, "Farewell, Rob Bell." It was like this famous tweet where he was sort of like symbolically excommunicating Rob Bell for his his kind of unorthodox view on hell. And because of stances like that, like John Piper doing that and other people sort of writing articles saying, no, we're not accepting this, it pushed the emergence kind of underground. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people to this day, I even see tweets from major evangelical leaders who will say things like, you know, oh gosh, remember the emergent church that came and went, you know, that died out or fizzled out. And I'm like, no, it did not fizzle out at all. Yes, it was pushed underground, but remember, they had social media, they had internet chat rooms and forums and all kinds of places to find each other and grow as a movement. And in 2012, Brian McLaren put out a blog post that basically said, we've not gone anywhere. We just mm. don't call ourselves emergent anymore. And he even mm. used the phrase progressive Christianity. Oh. He said, you know, sometimes we call it progressive Christianity. Well, that was 2012. And by now by 2021, progressive Christianity is the phrase that everybody uses, but it's the same thing. So this was a the movement happening within evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. And they at first they were seeking to kind of find a way to reach the postmodern culture, like maybe what methods can we change? Uh, but then you had this sort of more liberal side that wanted to 
redefine historic doctrines. So the merchant movement really split early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the the evangelicals that went more theologically liberal, like I said, grew, reemerged. So meanwhile, this is sort of getting to the point. Meanwhile, for all of these years, some of these people that have been influenced by the emergent and progressive movement have just been continuing to go to their historically orthodox evangelical churches. Hmm. And so a lot of this has been happening on the grassroots level, but it's gotten to the point now where it's so infected the evangelical church that I get emails every day from people saying, I literally cannot find a church anywhere near me that, that isn't at least influenced by progressive Christianity. So it's Mm -hmm. been um, kind of like that, a little leaven leavens the whole lump type situation where like a yeast, it's just completely uh, multiplied and, and grown in the evangelical church. Mm. So, um, you mentioned middle-aged white guys, which I am married to an almost middle-aged white guy. So, I mean, he's not even yeah. close. Like, not even close. He's not even forty yet. But um, there's kind of a a pushback against that image these days. Like, mm. I, I feel like if you're thinking of the modern progressive Christians, what I'm imagining, and I could be totally wrong, are younger, good-looking white women. (laughs) That's the kind of image I see from Twitter anyways. And and I could be completely wrong, but what is it that is so attractive about progressive Christianity? What if it's, if it's just, if it's already been here, why is it continuing to grow? And why are younger people stepping into it? What is drawing millennials and younger, younger people into away from orthodoxy and into yeah. progressivism. Yeah, it's for the same reason everybody keeps trying Marxism again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give it a, it sounds great. Like everybody wants to live in that utopia. They think it'll work this time. I think it's a similar thing because obviously, um, statistically, we see those mainline Protestant denominations in decline. Everywhere that theological liberalism takes root begins to decline. Mm-hmm. And so I've I've compared it to like a parasite looking for a new host. Mm-hmm. And it's so attractive on the surface. You know, you can be cool. Well, I don't even like using the word cool because that's not really the main reason mm-hmm. people are doing it. But yeah. you can be accepted by the world. You're not going to be called a bigot or hateful. In fact, you're going to be the, the Christian that the world likes. You know, if, you, right. if you're progressive, culture is going to be so happy with you. They're going to love you. They're going to be like, now nah, that's the kind of Christian we want to see in the world and you know a same-sex affirmation christian a christian who's on board with critical social justice like these are the the cool kids on the block as as far as like christianity would go so i think for younger people and and it's not always just to be cool but even like maybe they have some gay friends that they really love and they're Mm -hmm. looking for a way to be able to affirm their gay friends and hold on to their christianity well this is a here, here you go. You can do that. And you, you know, you don't have to be against the behavior of your gay friends. And and that's so attractive right now, because honestly, I can't even fathom the pressure for a younger person right now, because, you know, you're not only being told that the biblical sexual ethic is outdated. You're not only being told that it's wrong. You're being told that just the fact that you believe this, you're actually causing people to commit suicide mm-hmm. and be depressed. And so I can't fathom the pressure for, for young, young people to be like, well, I can have my Jesus. And then I can just like, not feel like I'm a hateful person. Yeah. I think there's a lot of confusion, but I think it's especially attractive to young millennials because of that, because they, they don't really have to take a hard stand on anything. 
and they, they can sort of have, they can be that Christian that can be like, Hey, Jesus loves you. And there's nothing controversial going to happen here. Just, you know, and so, um, I think it's attractive for a lot of reasons, but yeah, I mean, theologically it came from the middle-aged white guys, but Lindsay, I think you're right. I think the main face of it today is sort of these younger millennials that sort of look to those older guys for theology and stuff, but culturally, and that's where the more, I think the more mystical and relativistic side is sort of manifesting is among that younger generation. Yeah. No, I've, I've even seen that with people that I've met before. Yeah. It's, it, there are some mystical things even, um, and not to drift off to, into like, um, Wicca or anything, but even like crystal use is now becoming, yeah. I'm seeing that being incorporated in. And, and it, you mentioned earlier about, you know, how much pressure there is on, on teens. And when I was working with youth, so many of them were, were struggling because they didn't know how to reconcile their faith with potentially gay friends or siblings that have come out. Yeah. It, the second, uh, there was one girl who she said, well, you know, I used to believe this, but then my sister identified as pansexual. So now I'm good with that. So they think that, okay, I have to compromise. I have to, I have to choose between the two. And it's yeah. usually faith that gets put on the chopping block, which, yeah, um, right. and it, it is, it's so heartbreaking because it just exposes an area within the church where it's like, okay, church, here's a need. Here's where we need to be speaking truth. So these kids know how to live out their faith. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'm that I'm curious about is, so we've been looking at how progressive Christianity has kind of worked its way through history. We're seeing it work through the church. We're seeing how attractive it is to millennials and things. Well, these millennials, we're, we're having babies. We're having kiddos. So, uh, Alicia, is there anything that you're seeing? How, how is this shaping parenting and how parents yeah. are sort of communicating theology to their kids? Because you mentioned it like leaven to where, like, how is this progressive uh, stance shifting and, and working its way into Christian parenting? That's a really good question. Um, I'll, that I'd have to probably think about that a little more deeply if I were going to give like a sort of a full, fully orbed answer. But I can mm-hmm. give you some examples of things I've observed. Ooh, yeah. um, so what I've observed on Instagram and you know social media from friends who have gone progressive who have kids is that very often in an effort to not do the indoctrination that they feel that they received growing up in the right. evangelical church, they're indoctrinating their kids with progressive Christianity, taking them to pride mm. parades and uh, things like that. And another observation that I would make is, um, so Rachel Held Evans, the late Rachel Held Evans wrote mm. a book on the Bible and called Inspired. And um you know, I mentioned the more theologically robust side of progressive Christianity. I think she was a perfect representation of that. It was clearly someone who knew the Bible, knew the context, the culture, the history, um, very, very highly intelligent person, but she just came to a lot of progressive conclusions and really led the movement, I think, for, for many years. But in her book on the Bible, she talks about when she was a little girl, there was this magic book. That's how the book opens. And she talks mm. about how, you know, it was filled with adventures and soldiers and knights and sea dragons and all kinds of, you know, things like, and then as she got older and she realizes like the dark side of the Noah's Ark story. And all of a sudden she says the, the God that's supposed to be the hero of the story was looking more like the villain. Mm. And so she had this sort of wrestling match with the Bible and ultimately, sadly, the conclusions that she came to were uh, to basically reject as the word of God, the parts that would describe God in a way that she felt 
didn't move her toward wholeness. In fact, she, she advised the readers to say, hey, you know, in the Bible, it's up to you to decide which parts are true, which parts are false, which oh, yeah. parts are helpful or not helpful, fact or fiction, and then just embrace the things that move you toward wholeness and reject the things that cause you harm. That was basically her hermeneutic that she landed with on the book. But what was very interesting is toward the end of the book, she, she talked about how she and her husband were going to be introducing the Bible to their children. And uh, essentially, she, I think she did genuinely have a love for the Bible. I, I believed that that came through, but it was just like, well, we're just going to almost like censor the Bible with our mm-hmm. kids. We're just going to, and of course, listen, like I didn't read the story about Lot's daughters to my six-year-old little girl right. when she was six. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying that there's no place for that at all, but it really, it was the picture that like, well, we'll just give little bits here and there, but we're really not going to, going to give them the whole enchilada because, mm-hmm. You know, there's just so much problematic material in the Bible. And so I think that um, it'll be interesting to see how this affects, you know, the parenting side of things and, and the kids that are being raised. It, you know, kids always tend to rebel against their parents. So I've always prayed like, Lord, all these kids that are getting indoctrinated into progressive Christianity, you know, I, I pray that they'll just rebel and become like total historic, like Orthodox Christians. And like, this is nonsense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to put together this question in my brain because it's not on a sheet. Um, I'm, I'm going rogue. Um, <laughs> going rogue. Everybody watch out. <laughs> Hold on to your oh, no, And that's going to be very dangerous. <laughs> I am a mom of a teenager. And um, sometimes she and her friends will say things like, well, that's your truth. I have mm-hmm. my truth. And you're writing a new book. And, and I think that um, this is part of the doctrinal issue, the draw of progressive Christianity. Um, this is my um, completely uneducated opinion because I have not researched this as in-depth as you are. Sometimes I just sit back and listen to you because I'm like, you, you know so much. Um, but uh, what do you think parents can do to help their kids understand that just because to them something is true doesn't actually make it true? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, that's a really in-depth question that may not have a lot. It does have to do with progressive Christianity because they can then spot the issues with some of these doctrines uh, that are being held by progressives um, and say, oh, wait, just because you say that's true doesn't mean. And I think it might go back to um, the validity of the Bible and the validity mm-hmm. of scripture, which, of course, is another we could do a whole podcast, podcast series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think, Elisa, is, is most helpful um, for parents as they're trying to help their kids navigate this whole my truth, your truth, mm-hmm. and bleeding into progressives? Yeah, well, I mean, and this is just the message we pound and, you know, pound into Mama Bear's heads in that first Mama Bear book is that this has to be, it's not going to be like a one-time conversation. This has to be something you live out every single day, every opportunity you have um, to, 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 first of all, explain to your kids the nature of truth. Like a great thing if your kid says, well, mom, you know, that's just true for you. Uh, and and you can ask questions that expose the self-defeating nature of a statement like that. You could say, well, is that just true for me? Or is that really true? Because if that's really true, then it's 
only true for me, then that's not true then. You know, you kind of <laughs> can even play like games. But even like explaining, you know, I think that, I think Brett Kunkel was the one who came up with the metaphors of ice cream versus insulin. Explaining mm-hmm. to your kids what a truth claim is. When somebody makes, when somebody says something is true, which by the way, that's just true for you, that's a truth claim. That's a claim that someone's making about what's true in reality. Mm-hmm. And explaining to your kids that every time somebody makes a truth claim, it's either a subjective truth claim or it's an objective truth claim. Play a game. Start helping your kids to understand, like, is this a subjective claim or an objective claim? So ice cream and insulin, you can you can kind of say, okay, like, I think that chocolate ice cream, in fact, I'm just going to say chocolate ice cream is the best ice cream flavor in the world. Now, that's a truth claim I've just made. Now, can we prove that in reality? No. That's based on the subject. That's based on me. It's an opinion. It's a preference. So that's a subjective truth claim. And then, you know, using the insulin narrative, if I say, let's say somebody has type 1 diabetes, and I say, oh, uh, vitamin C is the best medicine for, for di- type 1 diabetes. Is that Now, is that something that can be proved out in reality? Well, yeah, because if the person... Yes. Yeah, it's it can not. be proved or it's <laughs> falsified. It can be falsified, right? So the person, if the person says, okay, she says vitamin C is the best and that, and they don't take the insulin, they're going to die. Mm-hmm. And so if you start teaching your kids like, okay, is this truth, is this truth claim subjective? Meaning, is it just someone's opinion or is it objective? Now, this is where it gets fun because everybody's going to agree that when you go to the bank, and in fact, this is a great example you could use when a kid says, well, that's just true for you. You could say, okay, imagine you go to the bank and you've worked all summer to save up a hundred dollars for this, whatever this thing is that you want to buy. And you've worked so hard. You've put all your money in every time you've made money. Then you go to the bank at the end of the summer and you say, okay, I'd like to withdraw my $100. And the bank teller looks at you and says, oh no, I don't see any money in here. Um, and you say, no, there's a hundred dollars in there. And the bank teller says, well, that's just true for you. (laughs) I think that might be a good way to show your kid, like, you don't really believe this, you know? Mm -hmm. But so, so where we're at in culture is that everybody, you know, like most everybody is going to agree with that type of objective Mm -hmm. truth, you know, traffic lights, things like that. Um, but what our cultures tried to do, and this is what progressives are trying to do. This is where I think your question is coming around the corner here is, Mm -hmm. Progressives want to put the category of religion in the category of ice cream, but Mm. it's not because God exists or he doesn't. It really doesn't matter what we think about that. Like I can, it doesn't matter what somebody thinks about insulin. It's that's the cure and it's going to work or it's not going to work, but there's no like, I think this way, or I really believe it. And I'm really, you know, so, uh, uh, sincere about it. None of that matters. It's, it's an objective truth claim. So the world has tried to put religious ideas in the subjective side of things. Like, well, that's just ice cream. You just pick your flavor, what works for you. And, but Christ, you can't do that with Christianity because Christianity stands or falls based on the resurrection of Jesus being a real event in history. And Paul says this, he says, you know, as you both well know, this is something we talk about in apologetics a lot. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is in vain. You're still in your sins. So Christianity isn't like other religions and belief systems that are sort of a list of teachings, things that will help you with your life. Here's what you need to do. Christianity is 
very different in a very different category. And it's either true or it isn't. Mm. And it's, you know, so Christianity is not in the ice cream category uh, as much as maybe even if you find a diet that works for you, you know, that might be in that ice cream category because you find the one that works for you. Somebody else finds the one that works for them. There's no universal standard for the best diet in the world. It's a preference. So uh, maybe helping our kids to say, look, Christianity like you can pick your favorite ice cream, but Christianity means something. It actually has a definition and it's either true or it's false. And it doesn't matter what your truth is about it or what my truth is about it. Um, so that was a really long answer. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think the main point is that it's just like, this is what I try to do with my kids. And, you know, like my kids aren't fully cooked yet, so we'll see how it all pans out. Yeah. <laughs> but I really just never, ever, ever let them let their guard down. And we, I'm, I'm kind of liberal when it comes to what I let them take in media wise. And yeah. what I mean, of course, I'm not allowing them to see graphic sex or, you know, <laughs> they don't have HBO touch. subscriptions. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, of course it's age appropriate, but for example, here, the movie frozen, you know, a lot of Christian parents were like, we're not letting our kids see frozen right. and or frozen too, I think, especially. Yeah. And I had had lots of conversations already with my daughter about worldview and about pantheism every single show she watches, I make her discuss with me. Mm -hmm. uh, last night, she wanted to watch the Disney short out, you know, where the oh, guy comes out. Yes, I saw that one. We watched it together yep. and we talked about it. And so that's my philosophy. It's like, yeah, I'd rather her watch it with me where I can help her navigate it than sneak it you know, yeah. or I watch it at someone else's house because she's curious. But uh, so, so with Frozen, I'll just end with this example because I've pretty much monologued now for like the whole podcast, <laughs> but uh, with Frozen. So we had already talked about pantheism and that whole worldview. And when I, we went to see Frozen 2 and, you know, that there's this opening scene where they're talking about the wind and the fire and all the elements. This And my daughter kind of nudges me. She goes, that's pantheism. And I was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> and then we could enjoy the movie without fearing that she's just taking things in uncritically because, like, she's annoyed even how critically I make her think about everything. Olaf, in one scene, makes a bunch of truth claims. Yeah. And I said, hey, look, he just said elephant or turtles breathe through their butts. And then he also said water has memory. I'm, we went home and fact-checked Olaf. And <laughs> we totally fact-checked him too. <laughs> turtles too. <laughs> turtles breathe through their butts. I mean, who knew? That's fun. But <laughs> water have memory. That was an interesting conversation. That's really based on pantheism. That's based on a new age idea that, that water is animated with spirit. And so mm. um, we got to talk about all those things. And so that's, that's where my philosophy is. You just can't, you can't let the TV babysit your kids. Right. You have to discuss them, these things and train them like, oh gosh, mom's going to make me give a worldview assessment when this is over. That's right. <laughs> Mom is. Enjoy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of what we do here at Mama Bear is we encourage um, families to chew and spit what yeah. they're taking in and keep in the good and get out the bad. And that's, that's exactly the method that we approach in our home. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think we're also liberal kind of with what we allow our children to watch. Um, again, not anything. We don't need to get the crit mails. Okay, guys, I'm not <laughs> yeah, letting my yeah. kids watch really, really bad things. <laughs> um, but do, do um, showing them those things when they're at their friend's house and they're watching something. Um, and if they'll know, oh, wait, I know that that's not. Or, yes. or they'll write something down and ask us about it later, which is mm -hmm. even more fun. So I'm like, oh, awesome. I'm so glad that you're like 
searching it up with me instead of just going to the internet and searching <laughs> <I> it up. <laughs> yeah. That makes me feel really good when they do that. Um, but yeah, so I love that answer, even if it was long, because it, it really yeah. did. I think it hit it on the nail. Well, so you want to be, you want to be your kid's Google search engine. Yeah. And the only way you can do that is to never react with fear mm-hmm. or, you know, you have to kind of like, you have to in, make an inviting environment where they know like, okay, mom's not going to freak out if I ask her this question or if I, you know, I have a question about homosexuality or this or that. Mom's just going to be my search engine. She's going to mm-hmm. help me come to the answer. Well, I always think of the story that Sean McDowell shares um, about when he was starting to have some doubts about his own faith and he went to his dad and his dad was like, let's talk about it. He didn't like freak out. Yeah. And, you know, Josh McDowell with crazy socks. He's not freaking out. He's you know, having a conversation with his son and saying, let's, let's go through your points and see what it is you're struggling with. And let's see if we can find some answers for you. And admitting sometimes that we don't know the answers, mm-hmm. but we're going to go find them and let's go together and look. That's, That's great. You know, a beautiful picture for families to, to kind of grasp onto and say, oh, it's okay as a parent to say, I don't know the answer to that. And you're actually winning points with your kids by admitting, hey, I don't know everything. Let's go find out if somebody has written on this topic or has spoken on this topic and knows what they're talking about. Yeah, it's good. Now, what I love about all of what we've just been discussing is this was actually a part of a study uh, dealing with the um, sexualization of girls to where they took mm. Christian parents and they said, okay, um, for those daughters who were raised in a household where the mom was worse than Ned Flanders, I mean, there was nothing allowed on TV. She checked backpacks for mini skirts, you know, all of these super strict stuff as compared to other Christian homes who uh, their kids were allowed to watch maybe cartoon characters or teen characters wrestle and make some poor disc- decisions, but they discussed it with them. The kids that had the discussion parents, they had less risky behavior than the kids mm. who were in the super sheltered home. So I I mean, this is even backed up by studies to show that, look, when you allow your kids to wrestle with these issues and to have uh, the ability to come to you as a parent and be that first person, that first line of defense that they can be like, okay, wait, mom, what, what about this here? Those kids actually become, uh, have better critical thinking skills. They make better decision-making. They're more thoughtful. I mean, it's just the, the blessings are there. You know, it can be intimidating as parents to th- excuse me, to think, oh man, I'm going to allow my kid to maybe watch something that I don't agree with. But when you can discuss it with them and help them think through it, you're actually strengthening their critical reasoning skills, which Mm. is what they need in culture. Because culture is getting kids so much to go by feelings and emotions and by emotional appeals rather than thinking things well. And so that's what we as parents, that's what we want our kids to do. That's our goal is to have them think well, which I I love the examples that you give of just, you know, you watch the shows with them, yeah. You work on some critical thing. You ask them some other tips. Are there anything else? Is there anything else that you use in your house that maybe are helpful for, for helping kids to think well? Yeah. Well, and I, I want to say one thing too, that just kind of occurred to me too. It's really important that you, that you know your kid's personality and maturity yes. level, because mm-hmm. I mentioned that I watched that Disney short out with mm-hmm. my daughter, but I would not do that with my son at this point. Right. I don't think he's at the maturity level to even be able to comprehend um, he's nine, but he's got some de- de- delays. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you definitely, like, I don't want somebody to hear me say that and say, well, I'm going to go take my six-year-old to watch out. Like, don't, <laughs> you know, you have to know your kid's maturity level, yeah. the level of questions they're asking, kind of where they're at, their personality is a huge part mm-hmm. of it. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, I think maybe if I were just to add one more thing, um, sometimes you have to do things you don't 
you wouldn't necessarily want to do. Mm-hmm. Like I made the decision. My daughter is very mature for her age. She's a very deep thinker. And uh, so I made the decision when she was eight years old to introduce the concept of homosexuality to her. Um, I, 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 she's been pretty sheltered as far as her experience with people. She goes to a Christian school and a very small Christian school. And so I just remember at eight years old, I prayed about it. My husband and I prayed about it. And I was like, I really want to be the first person to say this to her because she's going to start hearing about this if she hasn't already. Yeah. And I want to be able to help shape and guide how she's going to think about this. So, I mean, it went against everything I wanted to do as a mom. I didn't want to introduce that to my kid at eight years old, but I did. I just said, Hey, have you ever heard anybody say like, Oh, that's gay or, or Mm -hmm. that person's gay. And she was like, you know, she just said no. And she, and so, you know, I mean, I didn't sexualize it, but I just sort of, you know, made her understand that like, there's this, a lot of people think this is right and okay. And I just want you to know, you're going to start hearing about this a lot. And if you ever have any questions, I'm here. And looking back, she's 12 now. Um, I think it was one of the best decisions we ever made Mm -hmm. because ever since that day, every time she has a question about that, she's come to me like, Hey mom, can we talk about that? Like I saw this show where there was like a guy who said he's um, uh, transitioning. And so Mm. I was like, okay, well, let's talk about that. And I think because I had opened the conversation, she felt safe to come and say, okay, I have another question about this. And so we've had lots of conversations and, you know, obviously. So I think that um, even sometimes being the person to introduce, like, listen, I watched that Disney Mm-hmm. short that's aimed at very young kids they see yeah. disney wants my nine-year-old son to click on that yep. and become accustomed and get used to seeing two men kiss that's their that's the whole goal they yeah. they want someone like my son to click on it and like the cartoon oh it's just a little puppy in it, a cute little puppy mm-hmm. oh two men are married and they kiss and that's okay you know just to make that normal yeah. and um and and so Di- i mean disney's coming after your kids lots of places are coming after your kids so you know, not just with that topic, but we, sometimes we have to do things that we don't want to, that feel really hard. Like I didn't want to do that when my daughter was eight, but, um, but you know, sometimes we just have to do that. I don't know if that's, yeah. that's like maybe another thing I would add. Yeah, no. And, and you're so right because so many cartoons, I notice it because I watch them with my kids and I'm realizing, oh my gosh, this, this is geared toward, you know, kindergarten, early elementary school. Mm-hmm. They're already, they already think your kids are ready for this. So we need to make sure that we're prepared as well, because it's one of them's going to be talking first. We just got to make sure we're in the game as long as, yeah. as the world is, because the world is, is working actively toward getting kids used to this, basically grooming them from the time they're little yes. up until adulthood. And, uh, so often the church waits until their middle school, high school to start speaking truth into this. And yeah. no, we can't, we can't afford to do that church. We can't. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So knowing that, um, I think we're we're starting to wrap up here. What are some resources that you know about that would be helpful to anyone listening um, about any of the topics that we talked about, but primarily progressive Christianity? You are kind of the voice on this, but are there other um, resources that could be helpful for folks besides your podcast and your book and your upcoming book? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, some, some podcasts that talk about this a bit, like Mike Winger has done some really great work. Love him. Um, yeah. He's done some really great work, uh, sort of refuting some of the progressive Christian theology and some of their thought leaders. So definitely check out Mike Winger's YouTube channel. Um, 
uh, other people, uh, what the What Do You Meme YouTube page, John McRae, he's done quite a bit of analysis of the progressive movement, done a really good job. As far as resources like books, Michael Kruger wrote a book called The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity. And what I like about it is it's real concise and it's not a very big read, but you can kind of read through it and it really sort of gives you a picture into the theology behind progressive Christianity. Um, there's another book written by a guy named David Young called the, I believe it's called a grand illusion. And it's a book on progressive Christianity. I endorsed his book. Um, he's a scholar, uh, did a really good job of summing up the movement all the way back to its historical roots. And, um, that's a book I would recommend, uh, but, you know, honestly, like when people ask me this, I always just say, just know the real thing. You know, yeah. you don't actually have to go read a bunch of books on progressive Christianity. Just know the word, know the Bible, know what's true. And, it, you know, it's like the preacher story that preachers always use, you know, that F, is it uh, secret service agents or FBI agents Big are trained money. to spot, yeah, the money by, <laughs> not by studying the counterfeit, but they mm-hmm. study the real thing. And then when a counterfeit comes across, they spot it immediately. So, I mean, more than anything, just know good theology, because that's where this battle is being fought, is biblical interpretation. You know, take a hermeneutics class, read a book about biblical hermeneutics, like interpreting the Bible properly, because um, that's probably your best defense against anything. That way it doesn't, you know, it could be progressive Christianity today, could be something else tomorrow, but you'll Mm. be fine because you know what the word says, you know what it means. And, um, and, and, you know, there are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand, but the most important things are very clear. The most important things, the gospel is not vague. It's not fuzzy. So, you know, but, but you would be amazed at the brilliance of the twist. I mean, it's just the way that they can take something that just so obviously means one thing and flip it over and make it mean something completely different. So just, yeah, know your, know the word more than anything. Hoorah. Oh gosh. Thank you so much, Lisa, for coming out and and joining us today. I know this is just going to be so helpful to our mamas and papas out there. And uh, we just, we're so excited for the next book coming out and we just, we thank you for being able to, to spend some time with us today discussing progressive Christianity. Oh, it's always fun. Thanks for having me. All right, y'all. Well, stay tuned for more Mama Bear Apologetics podcast. We're going to get you equipped with this next release coming out. We're going to be talking with Matthew Middleberg on how to explain miracles to kiddos. So you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for that. Thanks for joining us today. Bye. Bye. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together.